It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conroy O'Neill, joined today by Chris Beasley, Gav Buckland and Matt Jones. And if you were looking for some new year inspiration, today is not the place to find it. That is because Everton's poor Premier League form continues on Tuesday night as they were hammered 4-1 at home to Brighton. To say it was a horror show would be an understatement as the Blues conceded three goals in six seconds, half minutes to leave Frank Lampard. I think it's safe to say fighting to keep his job heading into January and also the toxic scenes we witnessed towards the club's board. To look back on Tuesday night's game, where Everton go from here, the pressure on Lampard, and of course the scenes we witnessed towards the board, all, four, all three lads will give their verdict. But Chris, you were alongside me last night in the Goodison press box. I think we've, we've witnessed some horror shows from Everton over the last couple of years, unfortunately. But that one, certainly second half, was right, all, right up there with the worst of them. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst this season, well, shadow of a doubt. Um, two very different sort of feelings at, at half time. It was almost like, here we go again. And that, you know, there's been an individual error there from Nathan Patson. And then Everton had started the, the half quite promisingly and then it faded away and then had been punished by that mistake. But you, it just felt flat and um, sort of the way the season has been as a whole and that, oh, another narrow defeat. Um, one nil and there's no way coming back from that. And it didn't they? It was just an absolute shambles the way Brighton were able to pick them apart at will. And was it three goals in six minutes, something something like that? And uh yeah, unfortunately Brighton are everything that Everton aren't. I suppose we'll go on to it, but you know, a, a team sort of assembled a fraction of the cost, savvy recruitment, lesser resources than Everton, but they, you know, they, they won handsomely and it, it was a, it was a real mess and you have to fear just where do Everton go from here? Cause you don't want to keep repeating that toxic cycle of hiring and firing, but they're, they're in a really poor place at the moment. Gav B said there in terms, you know, Brighton are pretty much everything Everton aren't, aren't they right now this minute? They've got a lot of things going for them on and off the pitch and they look, you know, a modern, you know, re-energised football club and Everton look anything anything but that do yeah yeah wait, wait imagine now when we talk about football strategies and stuff it's taken Brighton a few years to get to where they are spent a lot of money spent time down the time down the bottom of the league haven't they I bet they have got less resources than Everton so the proof that actually you know you need to keep at it don't you for a number of years before you start reaping the benefits and I totally agree. You saw two two teams who, in terms of both on and off the pitch, are going in complete opposite directions and have been for for a while now. And um, it's daft, isn't it? Really, but we should be looking for them for inspiration. Which seems like a very strange, uh, strange thing to say. Um, amplified by the fact that in the second half. I mean, it's all like Man City playing about the edge of the area and taking the Mickey. What are Brighton doing it? With all due respect, yeah. And 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 last night's result would reflect those those problems on off the pitch with both teams. And I thought Brighton were excellent. Albeit as well on their bench, they had some, they had a World Cup winner on the bench, didn't he? Trossard, Lalana, uh, Lamsey plays it all, walk into our team at this very moment in time and be the you know be the best players. Yeah, so. Last night was just a crystallisation of where both clubs are, and you know, and that that in some respects is not to be unexpected, is it really? Matt, that's a, a big thing, isn't it? What what Gav says there about terms of squad, because we you know we saw that with Wolves, you know, when you look at the changes Wolves made in, in the in the game of Goodison on Boxing Day, and the fact that you know Ralph Jimenez didn't even make it onto the pitch for them that that game, let alone start. You look at Everton's squad last night, you know, a, a young. Centre forwards was called upon, a young centre midfielders called called upon. You know, it's almost we're going to come on to Frank Lampard shortly, but in that respect, he's almost fighting a losing battle, isn't he? When you look around, what would the clubs have got at their disposal compared to Everton? There's a massive gap. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. And 
you know, both the lads have already alluded to it there, that with Brighton and their strategy, it comes directly from the top. And there is a crystal clear thread that runs through the entirety of that football club. And, and what they do is that when they lose a manager, because the rest of the football club is in such good hands and the, the strategy is so clear, they can go and get somebody who fits that strategy. And when he comes into the football club, it's not a culture shock. He doesn't have to change the style completely to, to get the team going again. They also just you know, they plug in and play and, and they carry on. And it's the same with, with players. You know, you look at the, the striker that they brought in last night, uh, Ferguson, he looks like a, a really good prospect. Um, he will have been schooled in that Brighton way that's been running through the club for, for many, many years now. And when he comes into that first team, that strategy has been instilled in him. And he can just be plugged in and played. And, you know, with all due respect to a lot of Brighton's players, if they walk past you on the street, you wouldn't know, know them, would you? You wouldn't recognise them. But they are so well coached. And you, you look at them and the way in which they play. And you wouldn't think that their manager's been there, what, three, four months? They look like a team that have been playing that way for, for years and years. And you look at Everton and it is the, the complete antithesis of that. And, you know, it, I think what happened on the pitch is um, such a... You know, it, I don't want to say the word perfect, but, you know, the perfect manifestation of, of where Everton are as a football club now. You, know, you said it there, Connor, you know, Brighton look like a modern, forward-thinking football club who are going to succeed in the, the cutthroat environment of, of Premier League football now. Everton look like a team that are, are 20 years behind that in terms of the way in which they recruit players, the way in which they recruit, recruit managers, the style of play, etc., etc. Um, It was a real big slap in the face, I think, for, for Everton and, you know... I, I totally get the anger and totally get the fan reaction. That was the, the big thing, no bees, wasn't it? In the sense of, it almost felt like last night that all the kinds of problems Everton have got were laid bare, you know, for all to see. The discontent between, you know, fans off the pitch in terms of some feeling towards the board, the squad not being up, questions over the manager, the fact that, you know, lesser te- so-called lesser teams in the Premier League can just come to Goodison Park and, and roll Everton over with such ease. Yeah, it's true. Good point Matt makes there about the manager not being there at Brighton very long. I mean, obviously they had Graham Potter and they, they lost him to Chelsea um, just um, a few months ago. And rather than that being um, a crisis, because they, you know their, their manager had been poached, as it were, um, just brought in, it, it was scoured Europe for the, the person they felt would be the ideal fit. And it seems to have been a seamless transition, whereas we're concerned that Everton, after this toxic cycle of going through another manager after um, 12 months in charge, um, Nice turn of phrase from Matt there and about plugging and play. I mean, it just it seems again to be the opposite of that. And the the, the, the players that, that they get, they're not getting the, the best out of them. The way Dominic Calvert-Lewin was fortunately leading the line again last night, two games in a row, and they're just not getting the crosses in for him. If anything, they're actually doing that more when Neil Mopay was in, was in the side and playing up front, you know, a totally different sort of striker, um, not playing to his strengths. Yeah, it's... it's very concerning how, um, like I say, Everton seems to have been left behind and uh, yeah, all the, the problems seem to be manifesting itself, as it were, the, the chickens coming home to roost. Of, yes, they've had this football um, strategic review and maybe those sort of improvements will bear fruit in the future, but it's going to take time. They're not the sort of things overnight. And the, the big concern at Everton right now is the first team, what's going on with the senior side and the, the inability to get results. Gav, that's the, the, the big thing, isn't it? What B says, you know, in terms of longevity and giving things time, that's all well and good. But the position Everton find themselves in right now, it yeah. feels like it's going to be a long, hard few months ahead again, like it was last last year, just in a bid to keep keep themselves in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and this is where I think going back to what I was saying about Brighton is that you can place too, too much trust in having a strategic plan. You know, oh, we've got a strategy now, it's going to work. Well, it can, it can take several years to work. Um, you know, by the time, I mean, Kevin Cowell said, I think, what was 120 points? Yeah. Documents. Mm. Well, that's a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of planning, isn't it, around that to get all that in sync and operating effectively together. It takes take several years. As you say, quite right, uh, Connor. It, it's it's the the short term tactical plan to get us through the next four or five months, and and, and notwithstanding, like we might get a couple of players in in January. That's basically Frank getting the best out of the players that are on the pitch and in the squads and getting them to work effectively, which is not happening at the moment. And um, how 
well, I start off my favourite subject. How we start doing that is the midfield, isn't it? Midfield was just shambolic last night. Um, and by and large, as you well know, I don't think it's operated effectively this season. I don't think we've got the balance right. So it's those type of things that need resolving, really. The strategic plan that Perwell's spoken about since he's spoken about is a separate separate thing altogether. And Frank, it's all about Frank getting the best out of his resources, which he's obviously not at the moment. Um, and that's that's the worrying part for me. Matt, Everton, of course, did pick up a point at the Etihad on, on Saturday afternoon as Damari Gray screamer ensured a share of scores against Manchester City. Frank Lampard for that game operated with a, a, a kind of 5-3-2 formation, although at times it was somewhat chaotic and a little bit more eight men behind the ball with Calvert Lewin leading, leading the line by himself. Last night he opted to change and go back to a 4-3-3, which right McNeil coming in is one of the changes. Was you surprised to see Frank Lampard make changes in the way he did last night? Do you think it would have been more of the same after the game with the Etihad at the weekend? Yeah, I, I was frustrated, but in the same breath, giving the manager a bit of the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't know if Ben Godfrey could have gone again, you know, twice in four days after being out for, for as long as he has been. I, I don't know if that was sort of in, in the back of his mind. Um, but... I still have issues with the, the way in, in which we set up. You know, I think there could have been easily a way in which you could have kept that back free. You know, Seamus Coleman has played as a third centre-back many times for Everton. Now he played there a lot towards the back end of last season. Um, and the midfield setup, as, as Gav alluded to there, I think when when we brought it to a game back, it was almost like everybody forgot that he was never really a sitting holding midfielder. He would play as that, that that pivot, that number six. It was almost like, well, we've got an Arna, we've got a Wobi, and Garner, because he's, he's a defensive player with defensive qualities, is going to be the one that sits in front of the back four and, and does that kind of job. But I think when he, even when he was at Everton and when he was playing at his best, and you think back to when he got that move to Paris Saint-Germain, the six months before that, from the January when he didn't get the move until the end of the season, he was playing as sort of a box-to-box player. He was he was picking the ball up and driving. And you sort of had like a someone like Morgan Schneiderlin, who was, who was the player who would sit next to him and, and you know, try and keep that discipline. He's never been tactically aware or positionally astute enough to be that that sitting player. And if he wasn't that player five years ago, he's, he's not going to be that player now. And I, ju- I just thought the way in which that midfield got you know dragged around with Garner as the the one sort of sole pivot and, and Tom Davidson and Alex Wilby pushing forward. It was it was you know, it was embarrassing at, at times, and the way in which they that their forward plays picked up little spaces in between. Um, I think when Everton have played with a back four, I think the midfield has looked a lot better when there's two in front of them. But Lampard just seems to keep going back to this this four three three, where it's sort of like a the one player sitting and the two ahead of them, and I don't really get why. And yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, the, the, the lad sort of mentioned as well about the the review there, and just just wanted to to, to mention that. And I think that. The issue that Everton have sort of got now is that they're trying to straddle two very different horses. One is which they're trying to implement all these long-term plans about getting young players through the door, implementing a style of play, restructuring the, the academy. And all these things take time. And maybe sometimes you have to take a little step back with those things before you can take a few steps forward, which is which is absolutely fine when you're 10th or when you're 12th or even when you're 14th and you've got that little bit of breathing room. You can't do that as well when you get 39 points the season before, because you are on the brink. It's it's like your car getting down to red when, when your petrol meter, and then you're going to go, actually, we should, um, we should probably fill this up now. And there's, there's no petrol stations within, you know, 10 miles of you, and, and you're really struggling. So I think that's the issue Everton have got. Now, they're trying to implement all these long-term strategies, which in turn have a knock-on effect, which means that you might get a little bit worse before you get better, but they can't afford to get worse. And to sort of live in a bit hand-to-mouth in regards to having to stay up, but it's, it's very, very concerning. These Frank Lampard came off fighting. I think it's safe to say. Well, he, he came. He vowed to to fight on as Everton manager last night when asked in the, the press conference that me and you were both at. Mm-hmm. He, he seems, you know, committed to the cause, turning things around. He wants, to, you know, he knows what he wants to see from his side moving forward after last night. But you know, in many people's eyes, this result and this run of form leaves his position hanging by a thread. Where does the manager go from here? because he's got a game in two days' time. Yeah, it's a very difficult position. Yeah, we were talking about um, Kevin Felwell and his 120-point plan. I mean, just getting to 40 points in May, that's a big thing for Everton, never mind. Uh, 
That's interesting. for you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a long way off at the moment, isn't it? Given that you know they're averaging less than a point a game. Um, what is it? One win in ten Premier League matches now. Mm-hmm. And um, it was pointed out before as well that um, but obviously Bournemouth, the last one before the the break, that's their only win in their last eight games. So. Other than that, they know they they've been sinking like a stone. It's a good job there's other teams like that around Everton, to be honest. But um, yeah, they did. Whenever anybody seems to need a pick me up, and in, Everton are all too obliging. But yeah, very difficult position for Frank because I think with this record, to be honest, um, if they'd not gone through six managers in six years, he really would be in trouble. Now we we'll have to wait and see what happens with Frank Lampard. But I, I think if Everton hadn't gone through six managers in six years. I honestly think Frank Lampard probably get this. It would be getting the sack now because that it's not been good enough. It, um, but people realised realise uh, at the top of the club they would realise amongst all the fans, the long-suffering supporters inside Goodison Park that you can't just keep repeating this downward spiral of toxic, toxic hire and fire him every year, going through yet another manager. And obviously, you'll point to the the constraints that he's had to to work with. I'm not too sure about this. I, I get what he means when he says, "Oh, I came into a relegation fight, and you know that's where we're at." But this isn't a, a vintage Everton team, but they should be doing better than they are at the moment. And certainly, since they've been doing after the the Crystal Palace game, so all like um, they had the Fulham, didn't they? And then they had um, that was it the three successive defeats before the World Cup break, and now they've come back to two very disheartening um, home defeats after the World Cup and interspersed by that. Um, what was for a very brief time, you know, morale boosting point at Manchester City, which ultimately means nothing when you're going to follow it up with a, a performance and a scoreline like that against Brighton. So yeah, he's he's in a very difficult position here, and I think. Curiously, he's actually helped by the fact that Everton have been through so many managers and perhaps more of a reluctance now to sort of um, pr- press that panic button. And the fact also, you've got to remember that Lampard was the anonymous choice of um, both Mashiri and all of the, the members of the board, whereas um, his predecessor Benitez was one that Mashiri had gone alone on. Gavin, you know, Bees makes some good points there on Frank Lampard and the position he finds himself in. But I think that's almost the case right now that, you know, the Everton boards in particular need Frank Lampard to turn things around and work more than ever before because a lot of the strategic review and a lot of the work that's being done is being based around Frank Lampard being in charge. If they were to sack him now, then not only does it highlight, you know, that they again put it another manager, it's another manager gone, but also that it's almost written up and starting again. I'm not sure about the strategic review. The saying that we need a young progressive coach with with the modern view of the game as part of the strategic view. That's fine, isn't it? They may have just chosen the wrong person for that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a false in the strategic review. It's just part of the selection process and the timing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's a difficult one, isn't it, for Frank? I I, I think personally, I, 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 you know, if, if it's going to be done, do it now. Don't mm. wait till the middle of January or the end of January. You know, do it now. I think that's that's the thing. Um from, from his behalf, what is his problem is we've spoken about midfield. The other area of concern I've got is Cody and Tarkovsky, who both dropped off at the cliff a little bit since Bournemouth. I mean, he's got to get the central defensive partnership working better. Um, and that, that goes back to Matt's point of having two holding midfielders, I think, as well. And uh, so that, that's the start for me. Get a balance, better balance midfield. And the other one is Calvert Lewin, he's not fit. And to be fair, and I don't want to sort of criticise him, he hasn't looked interested. And what's that reaction to that goal? Gray scored on a Saturday. He didn't do anything, did he, Calvert Lewin? It's just, it's just, it was just a funny reaction. And last night, I just think he didn't look, look fit. And we need, notwithstanding the fact that he's come back from it, you need to see more from him. And um, so Frank has got is in a tricky situation where he's probably not going to have a lot of money to spend, if anything, in January if he does stay. And it's about getting the best out of the players that he's got. But there are lots of problems with within that, isn't there? 
you know, he's got to get all the parts of the team working effectively, which is not happening at the moment. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Matt, Gav says there he's not getting the team working right. That is solely his responsibility though, isn't it? And that probably more pressure on him. Are you surprised that he's still limbering a little bit? Are you surprised maybe the axe hasn't fallen today, given what we saw last night and given how things we know have recently transpired under Farah Bashiri? Yeah, maybe. I think that the one saving grace maybe for him is, is what B said in regards to the fact that probably one of the rare things that the top people at the top of Everton have unanimously agreed on yeah. in recent years is that he had a, a lot of support in the boardroom and maybe that's given him a bit more grace. Maybe the fact that you know, the fans show him a bit more support than some of his predecessors is doing the same. But, you know, you can't really defend that record, can you? It's, it's, it's very hard to look at the Everton winning, what, three games? Have we played How many games have we played now this season? 18, is it? In the 18 game? games, you know, that, that that's appalling. That, 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 is, that is really appalling. And I don't know if that's, you know, down to Lampard entirely. I don't know if that's down to, to the team entirely. But if, if someone was to pull the trigger today on him, then you, you couldn't really you couldn't really blame them. That, that, that record is poor. But I think in, in the same breath, you look at that squad and, you know, I remember towards the back end of last season the, when we were sort of in this this really bad relegation plight and, you know, people who don't support Everton who you speak to and, and Reds were sort of saying to me then, like, oh, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. You've got this player and you've, and you've got that player and, you know, you, you'll be all right. No one's really saying that now. I, th- I think people are looking at this Everton squad and saying, yeah, it's probably about where it should be now. Um, it's probably got the worst set of attacking options in, in the entire league. The midfield, as we've alluded to already, is a bit of a mess. And, and the centre-backs, uh, as Gav mentioned there, after a bright start, have, have slowly started to, to degrade a little bit. So, Frank Lampard is, is not doing a good job. Um, but you could also look at this Everton side and say, well, they are about where they are. But what is also worrying is that it feels as though after that that decent start to the campaign where we did look a little bit more robust and a little bit more solid, um, it's, it's we're on a downward spiral again now. And it feels like things are are going to get worse before they get better. Um, of course, the, there are other concerns as well, you know, in, in regards to Lampard. The, the main one being for me is that if he was to, to leave the football club, that I've not really got much faith in the people at the top of the club um, to, to replace him. Um, I'd want someone like, if, if that decision was to be made, I'd want Kevin Farwell to have complete autonomy over who the next coach is. I'd want him to have complete autonomy over the players that come in through the door in January, albeit I'm sure there'll be people listening to this going, well, look at what he signed already. But I think if you appoint a director of football, you let them direct the football. You let them bring in a manager, dictate the style of play and sign players um, like what Brighton have been doing for, for so long. And, and that's got to start somewhere for Everton. But if Lampard wants to get the boot today or tomorrow or after Manchester United or after Southampton, um, I'm not entirely sure Kevin Fowler will be allowed to do that. These mattered there in terms of, you know, big Everton have got bigger problems and a lot of the, the Everton fan base inside got to some park last night after the, the third, fourth and the full-time whistle went. Mm. We were shot and sacked the boards. It was pretty toxic and similar scenes to what we witnessed, you know, when you think back to the, the, the Merseyside derby in December of last year when, you know, Marcel Brands ultimately left the football club a couple of days after that game. It was all very unsavoury and, you know, not for the first time, blue supports split. Yeah. Um, it's a really <laughs> difficult one because I think that obviously the, the owner has, has admitted to his mistakes last summer and his um, his open letter to the, the supporter. And that's the thing, he's not one of these owners who, who, who hasn't splashed the cash, he's done all too much of that. But it's that's by his own admission, been um, it's been squandered, that has been not been spent wisely. Yet. I can, you can totally understand the frustrations and um, I suppose off the field it's seen as not being as efficient as it should be the same way as things haven't been done efficiently on, on the field. 
as well. But when you say, I mean, sack the board, pretty generic chant. But in reality, I'm I'm not too sure what that means. In that, um, there's not, as far as I know, somebody waiting in the wings to to buy the club. Obviously, there was the interest in the summer of the US consortium that ultimately came to naught. Um, we look at the people who who realistically invest in Premier League teams um, these years. Um, usually either um, U- US businessmen or, I said um, in my piece today, if, you, if, if you're really lucky, stroke, prepare to uh, abandon all your principles, maybe some petrol dollar fueled um, sports washers might come in. But I don't think there's any of those knocking on Everton's door either. So it's a difficult position in that a lot of people, they look at the who's on the board at the, the moment and the people who've been there a long time and uh, who they feel um, haven't um, done enough. They've not run Everton in a successful manner that Everton has been in, run in the past. And I totally understand what all these concerns are. Ultimately, it's the, the longest trophyless streak in the, the club's history and not just that now, the fact that they're struggling just merely to stay in the Premier League. But there's not a, a, a straightforward alternative here, is there? In that, um, what what is the alternative? As as far as I know, I mean, there were there's perhaps interest, and um, the the whole stadium issue is, makes it even more complicated until that's completed. But it's it's not like there's a billionaire who used to stand in the boys' pen, ready to you know sign a check and and, and buy Everton. So. I totally understand what those frustrations are, and I know there's a lot of fan groups who are trying to do something about that. But in in reality, I'm not too sure how, from a practical point of view, other than getting your scalps of of certain individuals, what that actually means in reality. Gav, these make some good points there. But given what Everton fans have been served up, given what they've been put through these last couple of years. The chopping and changing and quite not not quite knowing what direction the club's heading in. The the vast majority are right to, to be vocal, aren't they? And, and you know, say what they've got to say because they're paying a hell of a lot of money to watch that team on a weekly basis. Oh, without a shadow of doubt. Um yeah, absolutely. Um as long as it's all done in a you know common sense. I'm amicable, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think, but common sense, you know, not not overtly aggressive manner, then that's absolutely absolutely fine and, and being there myself. Um, but I think this 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 thing goes back to like the difference between the strategic plan and, and the short-term plan, isn't it? What 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 supporters want in terms of like you know, removing the people at the top of the shop and the owner. That's a strategic thing, isn't it? That's not going to change what we need to do over the next three or four months, is it? Really, which is the, the priority. That's for another day. Um, but you know, if we change things now at the top of the shop or the owner, it's probably not going to make a lot of difference in what we do over the next three or four months on the pitch. Okay, it might do a little bit, but it's not. It's not going to change this, the team, is it? And the imbalanced midfield and creaking centre halves. It, it's it you know that that's all, all of this is down to the manager and the coaching staff as far as I'm concerned at the moment and the players that other stuff which people are quite rightly questioning and I I fully fully get that is is for another day as far as I'm concerned so um you know and, and that's it really you know it is it's two different things as far as I'm concerned the strategic view about who's on the board and who owns the club. And the short-term view, and that that's only the short-term view, as far as I can see at the moment, is only the manager and the players. Okay, a new manager may come in, but you still get for the same players, aren't you? You know, is it as as my favourite quote is uh, the old George, Connor, the old George Graham quote about every new manager that walks into the dressing room should always have always remember that these are the so and sos who got my predecessor sacked, and 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 that and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, any new manager walking into Everton will be saying these are the so and so's who got my several predecessors sacked. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that's the thing, isn't it? You can talk about owners and board members and stuff, and quite rightly and justifiably so. But ultimately that's what it's about, isn't it? And that won't change 
Anytime soon, as far as I'm concerned. Certainly not in the next four months. He's all worrying times, don't matter, aren't he? Because we saw last year this club's at its best, that's most powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it almost is what every, every football club is about, when everyone's together and united. You know, we, we've seen there's a planned protest for the Southampton game. You know, fans weren't, weren't very happy last night. Some seems to have lost the fight almost, to, you know, to, to get through another relegation battle again. And it all comes back to the board, doesn't it, and what, what their plans are moving forward and, and who, who they want to get behind. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's hard, isn't it, to ask fans to, to go to that well again? I mean, I, I don't know about any of you guys, but the thought of going through all that again, it's just, it's it's, ex- it's exhausting isn't it? and ominous, you know, thinking about you know, the physical and mental toll it, it took on, I think, so many Evertonians. But... I think that was one, sorry, just, it was one thing last night, wasn't it, when I know you sit in the, the, the Gladys Street of the games and stuff like that, but, you know, I know there was a few boos and a few shouts sack the board, certainly when the full-time whistle went. But it was almost a bit of a, a silence and a bit of a almost people just accepting the faith, you know, people kind of not getting angry, not getting fired up, not not having that bit of fire in the belly to, you know, try and do something about it. Almost as if well, once you can get away with, but you know, twice on the, the run, get down there again, we've kind of only got ourselves to blame. Yeah, and it's, I think it's you know, I, I was saying last night that it, it was quite sad when someone just lobbed that solitary blue flare on after the fourth goal because you know, that, that that blue smoke sort of became like a symbol of of the unity and all, all things good about the fan base last season, the way in which they, they pulled together. And, and obviously someone had brought that with a, a good, good moment in mind and maybe just thought, oh, I've, I've brought this with me and may, may as well just, just lob it on the pitch now. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it was grim. And, you know, sitting in, in the Gladys Street, I've, I've not heard that much sort of, maybe not unity is the right word, but that much of a swell of, of support singing, sack the board before a Goodison or certainly not for, for a long time. And of course, the, the, there's context to that, you know, the results, the, the performance, where we are in the league, the fact that everyone's back at work this week, uh, the weather being awful, the trains being off, you know, it just it just felt like it was going to be one of those games where everyone was just a little bit, a little bit aggy. Um, but like I said at the start of, of the show, I, I totally get the anger, I totally get the frustration. And I, I agree with a, a lot of what, what Gav said there in regards to, you know, the strategic review and the, and the short term needs but I think at some point there's, there's got to be some accountability for this you know there, there are people at the at the top of the football club now and, and of course you know that George Graham quote is absolutely right but this decline this what looks like terminal decline has gone beyond a certain set of players and gone beyond two or three managers players you know going back to what we were saying at the start there's six managers in, in six years now since the far had machine yeah. took over you know this this is a long-term rot now that is been there beyond many managers and beyond many squads and I think what happened last season there was obviously a lot of scrutiny on certain people at the football club and, and when we stayed up everybody just took a big deep breath um, and looked ahead to next season but at some point there's got to be accountability for this because we can sit here now and say mid-season that it can't come now because we've got to um, you know start planning for the short term and get ourselves up again absolutely fine We'll get to the end of the season and say, well, we need time to reset and people need chances to to go again over the summer. That's fine. First game of the season, it's the start of a new season. You know, when do you do it? When do you do it? I think you can always make excuses to put these things off and give people more time and give people the benefits of the doubt. But this has been going on for far too long now, in my opinion. And some accountability for this is long overdue. There are people at the top of the football club who have been present for this it, it, it's shambolic, and I, I just, I just find it all really sad. You know, every time I get the train to town, I get the train back home from town. I see that stadium, and when I saw it going up in the summer, I was, I was really excited, thinking, you know, you know, can't wait to get back to the match again. Can't wait to see Everton play there. And every time I go past it now, I just think, isn't this, isn't this all really sad? The our last year's at Goodison Park are this, and I looked at teams like West Ham and Tottenham in recent years who have had, you know, really great rousing final seasons at their, at their stadium with teams they can be proud of and everyone coming together in, in a positive way. And where we've got this, you know, the last throws of Goodison Park and, and here we are, you know, potentially scrapping around relegation, potentially going to Bramley Moor, a second-tier team. I, I just find it all very, very sad. Is this whole situation isn't helped, though, is it, by the fact that Farhad Mashiri still hasn't attended a match? Well, mm. Frank Lampard has, has been in charge of the football club but the last time he visited Goodison Park and Watch the Blues in, in action in the flesh was October 2021 when 
Watford run riot and score five against Rafa Benitez as Everton. But that doesn't help Bezos in this situation because, you know, you want the owner to, to take stock, you want the owner, to, the owner to lead, and quite frankly, he's nowhere to be seen and nowhere to be heard. No, he's... Um, like you say, is if Frank was to go um, this month, I mean, he would have had an entire managerial tenure without the owner attending a game, any of those competitive matches that he'd he he'd overseen um totally concur with what Matt said about the stadium. I mean, for all that Farhad Mashiri's um goodwill in terms of squad building has just gone backwards and it, it's not worked at all. The one thing you can say about his ten years of time as owner of the club, he he has delivered in turning that um, new stadium dream in, into a reality, a reality we can now see. For our very eyes, Matt talks about going up on the train and seeing it. Um, I live in New Brighton, of course. I look across the water, I can see it raising there. It's already a magnificent sight now, it's, it's not even completed. But it's like you said, it's, it's such a bittersweet thing because this is a once in a lifetime experience for Evertonians. They're going to build this new stadium and be their home for many, many decades to come. Magnificent new start for the whole club on, on, on the banks of the Mersey. But they can't enjoy it because of all this is going on now. It's going to become, say, it's not going to be a, a white elephant, but if you're moving in, as if you're not a Premier League team, when you move into, you know, it's going to hold almost 53,000, which would be the most fans who've watched Everton on a regular basis in, in their club's history, I think. Um Gav will probably know this. I think it's only once in Everton's history if they averaged over 50,000 a game and it was for the 62-63 title winning season. So, providing Everton do sell out at the new stadium every week, you know, that'd be the, the most people who've ever watched Everton on a regular basis in terms of average attendances. But it's all going to count for naught if, if, if Everton don't have a team to to um, justify this this brilliant new stadium and the, the, you know, it's... it's, it's was it... 72 years since they were last relegated and, and they're, they're certainly going to be on the on the cusp of it and going to be there or thereabouts this season unless there's some miraculous improvement between now and, and the end of the season. Yeah, it's almost like Mr Mashiri has, has lost interest. Um, it, it, maybe he's just waiting for the stadium to be complete and um, he, get what he sees as a favourable sale of the club. But he it's in his interest as well as Everton's interest to make sure they're they're still a, a Premier League team when when all when that time um, comes because he, he's not going to get a good even if you forget all our own emotional attachment to the whole thing. You just for him as a hard nosed businessman, he's not going to get the deal he wants if they're not a Premier League team. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gav, how do Everton's board go about, you know, fixing this? Because it's quite clear, you know, the, the normal common practice would be for, you know, a board to sack a manager when a team's underperforming and look to bring someone else in and give, you know, revitalise the squad and give everyone a bit of a lift and a boost. But, you know, you get the feeling with the way things are at the minute that that isn't going to be the case. Certainly, you know, at Everton, you know, the sacking manager isn't going to solve all the problems that the club have got. How's the board go about fixing this? Because, you know, if if they lose the fans, which you know they seem on the way to losing a lot of the support, you know, Everton have got very little to kind of grasp onto and hope, haven't they? Have they? Yeah. For fairness, by the way, no, given stick to the board. Under the board's remit is also the construction of the stadium, which has gone very smoothly so far, and appears from a distance to be really well managed compared to to other similar projects. And I think that's worth worth pointing out. Um, well, I don't know who's 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 making the decision over the manager. When you say the board, you're just talking from the owner or the actual board. Yeah, who you talking, or is it just Farhad? Mm. 
that's that's these, the, thing, these, the issues though, aren't because again, no one really knows what's going on, do they? It's that, that's it's all cloak and dagger, isn't it? It's an, that's the same conversation that I've been had many times before. Who ultimately is making the decisions? Who, 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 the corporate governance around the club? Who's who's making the key decisions? Is it Kevin Thelwell? Is it the board? Is it you know? I don't get it's on, but you know, Bill Denise. Is it you know Farhad? So that's the thing. What I would say is they need to be clear and decisive. Either way. So I. I don't want it to get into like last year where you get like a week away from the transfer window and you appoint the manager. Because the, the problem you've got is, is we keep, I'm not going to, if we keep Frank, fine with that. And there's reasons for that. And that there's probably good reasons, continuity and all this type of stuff. We want to try and change the, you know, the, the, the mistakes that must be made in the past and keep with somebody. The problem we've got with that is, I'm just trying to think, got Southampton, have we got Man United? Either way, got Southampton. West Ham away. Then we've got, we got Arsenal and Liverpool having my first couple of weeks in. In February, February yeah. Which has got some tough games coming up. And you keep Frank, you might say, yeah. And then you allow money to be spent in the January transfer window. And then you get to February and we've lost three or four more on the balance. You're thinking, oh, we're going to have to change the manager here. Um, and then you've, you've wasted the transfer window. That, that's the problem with that. But Franco could work the other way. You get a quite big pick up form and get a few results, but that's always a risk. But be clear and decisive now is is if we're going to do it. I don't want it like last year, it was just a bit of a mess, wasn't it? Really, really in the end, we were the transfer window with two different managers and stuff, and and about three managers. Oh, three, wasn't it? I was going to say technically three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so be clear and decisive. Either if you're going to act, act now. Don't act halfway through January or near the end of January. So, but who who's acting there? I, I don't know. That that's know. that's the that's the important point, Matt, isn't it? I know Joe Thomas, our colleague at the Echo, wrote this at the weekend. In that, you know, there's no issue with sacking Frank Lampard because, like we've outlined already, you know there is mitigating reason why you would you would you know pull the trigger on, on Lampard given his record and and how you know Everton could argue haven't really improved much under his watch. But the club have got to have someone kind of lined up, someone ready to go to come in straight away because they can't be found wanting again and not really knowing what they want next and who to turn to and, and just plodding along in the hope that things will fall into place. Well, I I, I can't imagine they would have that. You know, it, it's, it feels like if they were... No, I think I totally agree with Gav. If, if they've got any any kind of thought now in the next few weeks of thinking... We're going to get rid of Frank Lampard, then then do it today. What? Why wait? Give the next person as much time as possible to look at targets that maybe Kevin Fowler was isolated. But you know, again, if they had any thought of potentially sacking Frank Lampard during this transfer window, they should have done it before the break in Australia, because they had six weeks there to potentially get somebody in to work with the players to instill a new style. And instead, we've we've gone on and. You know, we've come back and it's, it's not really much has changed. It's probably got a little bit worse, if, if we're being br- brutally honest. So I think what they should do now is, is probably stick by the guns, really. But in the same breath, there always comes a tipping point, doesn't there? And, you know, can, can you see a point, you know, a situation where if Everton lose to Southampton next weekend, that the Frank Lampard stays in his job? Probably not. But again, it, it goes back to the, the, the club and, and the culture that, that's been instilled in it over, over so many years under Farhad Mashiri that... You know, these sorts of things happen at Everton. You only need to go back to last year where we had one of our, our best players left the football club because he fell out with a manager who was then sacked three days later. You know, that, that that's just the sort of thing that, that happens at Everton. They do lurch from strategy to strategy, idea to idea, without any kind of, of long-term plan running through. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to see Frank Lampard staying on between now and the end of the season. But, you know, this is Everton. They, they do sort of go on. And they make these short-term decisions. And whereas you look at Brighton, um, again, going back to them, I imagine when Gray and Potter left, they would have had two or three people straight away. They thought, right, there's a fella who we looked at already, who fits our style of play, who can come in and just sort of keep this thing rolling on. Um, I, don't, I don't imagine Everton will do that. I mean, go back a year to, to what it was like where we had you know, this sort of publicly, publicly put out thing there where Duncan Ferguson, Vito Pereira, Frank Lampard were all doing interviews down in London with, with Tim Cahill and stuff like that. 
um, it became a bit of a circus, didn't it? Um, and you'd like to think that that's changed and maybe there'll be a bit more of a streamlined process this year, but all evidence that's gone before it would suggest that it's probably not going to be like that. You'd imagine it will be another circus. And that's not to, you know, to, to be presumptuous and give everybody stick and, you know, be critical of the board again. But it's based on the evidence we've seen of what Everton are like on the firearm machinery so far. Please, Everton do have a game in a couple of days' time. They say there's no there's no better thing to turn it round than another match. And Everton have one in two days' time when he was at Old Trafford. So they got Manchester United in the third round of the FA Cup. Let's hope for the sake of everyone that Frank Lampard doesn't make multiple changes like he did the bottom for the League Cup tie yeah. and Everton take this as seriously as they, as they should do. Yeah, I think he I think he has to anyway. Even if um the results after Everton come back had all been very positive, I, I would hope that he'd be going with I mean it's an absolute stinker of a draw for Everton. Um but a few uh, difficult ones in, in the third round uh, in recent times, most notably um, two trips across um, Stanley Park, was it, in, in the FA Cup? Were they both third round games? Um, you know, one, Liverpool were very obliging and fielded their second 11 and then promptly beat Everton's first choice anyway. So I suppose there's always that chance. <laughs> United could ring the changes and maybe their second string would still have the better of Everton's first 11. But yeah, after the Bournemouth debacle in the Carabao Cup. Um, whatever Frank Lampard, if he's still in charge on, on Friday night, deems to be Everton's strongest at 11, I think he should be going with it and just see where that takes him. It's going to be nine, obviously 9,000 Evertonians making the trip to Old Trafford and yeah, at least he deserves for them to, to give it their best shot. Gav, this game's going to be a, a big test, isn't it, of Everton's character because of how bad Tuesday night was and you know, the scenes that we witnessed. The Blues have got to pick themselves and pick themselves up quickly to ensure they're not hammered again on, a, on another big stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not a kind, kind draw, is it really? Um, the time when it was done in was it the start of December? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it Anfield? Did he pull the ball? It was at Anfield. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think if you have a look, um, how many first division teams you've beaten or top flight teams you've beaten away from home in the FA Cup in the last thirty odd years? There's not many. Um, just thought to cheer everybody up. You know, <laughs> that, that's that. Time to prove yeah, it yeah, it is. I mean, what when we talk about like changing the team, there's not many options because what's gone under the radar a little bit. Passing's out, isn't he? Isn't he for four to four to six weeks? Is that sort of one of the one of the byproducts yesterday? So I don't I don't think there's many options for us to uh, to change really. Uh, so I, I I fully expect to see a a a you know a, a virtually full strength team, but. How strong our full strength team is, is is obviously open to debate, which we discussed over the last forty five minutes. So, and bring a few other players in, like Bournemouth. We did the Bournemouth. I'm not sure whether there's that much difference between some of the players who were in the who were say ranked thirteen to eighteenth in the squad compared to the players who were ranked one to twelve. To be honest with you, so the team selection for me is a bit of a you know it's a bit of a neutral issue really. United are playing really well, one defeat in twelve games, so. They're uh, they're a really good team at the moment, aren't they? Got a few players who are banging form, so it is a tough tough ask to go there. Matt, what are you hoping to see from the Blues on Friday? Obviously, you know I don't think there'll be much expectation for them to to progress through the tie. But what are you hoping to see after what we all witnessed on Tuesday night? Um, it'd be nice if they didn't play through balls to the opposition strikers. That would be a good start, <laughs> I reckon. Um, based on what happened last night. Um, you, you just all you can ask for is is, is commitment, isn't it, and, and a bit of determination and, and a bit of pride. You know, I think the, the Manchester City game was that. I think even if City had scored right at the end, there you would have come away from it going, well, at least at least he gave it a good go. Um, as disappointing as it would have been to, to concede, but um, I, I don't know. It's I, I used to have so much enthusiasm for the cups and be so desperate for us to, to end this trophy drought, and you know finally get the Reds to take down the 1995 banners of derbies and all that. But the position we're in now, it just it just feels like... And I know I know you've written a lot about this, Bees, and I remember some, mm. some really good pieces early in the season about how Everton should should never think like that about, about trophies. But it, it just feels like there are so many bigger things going on at the football club at the moment. And teams now take these competitions really, really seriously. You know, there's so much pressure on managers and so much 
so many people who are desperate to win things in this league now because you know, it is so competitive that people people take it really seriously. Teams like United, who in recent years might have rested a full eleven for this game, I, I imagine they'll be quite strong because um, Eric Ten Hag will want to win a trophy in his first season with the, with the league title not really available. So I've I've, I've not got much enthusiasm for it at all, but I just want to see an Everton team go there, show commitment. Um, show a bit of belief, show a bit of fight in the shirt, and and, and give those nine thousand fans something at least to to cling on to. Um, but who knows? Maybe it'll be the start of Alice Sim as far as to FA Cup glory. It might be a new year, but the Raw Blue Podcast doesn't like to break tradition. So before we finish, we will of course have our weekly predictions. Bees, I'll start with you. What are you going for on Friday night at Old Trafford? Oh, I bet. I don't like having to make a... The puff of the cheeks from all three of us when I predictions told the story there. <laughs> yeah, a, a negative um, prediction, but no, I, I just... Hopefully I'm woefully wrong, but I can't see anything other than a United win. I'll go 2-0 Manchester United. Gav? Yeah, um, as, a, as a veteran of our last, I think our last FA Cup match at Old Trafford... March 1983. Still, by the way, one of the best Everton games I've ever seen. Absolutely brilliant match. We got beat 1-0 last minute, would you believe? But absolutely. Sounds very Everton, though. <laughs> yeah. i tell you what the performance was from Conner, and there was a lot of players who would go for us in the mid-80s, went to that match as boys and came out of it, man. And um, absolutely brilliant game. We had 15,000 there that day. I can remember the attendance as well. 58,198. And it took 22 years for there to be a bigger attendance on an English football ground. And um, fantastic game. Anyway, I, I'm just going off there on the tangent completely. <laughs> it's what the that we need. <laughs> yeah, United is. Our better performances this season, I've tended to be against the better teams. I've maybe mm-hmm. played well against yeah. played well City, Liverpool, Chelsea. We were competitive for, for the game where we got beat. So I think it's... Um, you know, it, it, in some respects, it's we might be if we set up like life against City, we won't see the debacle that we saw last night, and to a lesser degree against Wolves at the end. So, if we set up against City and United haven't got a stronger team out of what City had on Saturday, then we could conceivably get at similar results as City, to be honest with you. So, nil nil or one all for me. I'm gonna go one all because that's my bottle out job, I think. One all. Mm-hmm. Everton, Everton, you know, that newspaper headline, Bold Trafford oh, performance. That's the headline. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go one all at Neil Angus going an own goal for us, trying to endear himself to, to the Everton board before this move. Uh, and then I reckon we'll win the replay 1 0 at Goodison uh, with Leighton Baines in charge for his first game as caretaker manager. Oh, wow. I'm going to go 1 0 Everton. Because as we've seen so far this season, expect the unexpected. First time I've ever done a prediction where we've had to predict the manager, by the way. Some people would say this is long overdue on the Royal Blue podcast, seeing our ability to change. <laughs> the change yeah. of every, every most weeks. You I know, mean, so least, I think... you know, if if Frank does, you know, get the chop between now and the next couple of weeks, at least we can just Sam Carroll's old bingo manager game off <laughs> and rattle yeah. through some names again. <laughs> Maybe we'll end up like that point between Marco Silva and Carlo Angelotti, where Everton just announced it was going to be Duncan Ferguson before every game for a little spell. Like, by the way, I'm going to steal the manager today. Uh, <laughs> crack on. Haven't we changed the manager that much that all the all the squares have been scribbled through on mm. Sam's bingo card? <laughs> <laughs> But, gents, we will leave it there. I think we've uh, chewed the fat enough, although I think we could have been on for a lot longer, but we've all got work to do. But, no, Gav, Bees, and Matt, thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.